The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we'll be today. And just to bring everybody up to speed on where we're at and what's happening here, Paul has written a letter to the Corinthians. Uh, The Corinthian church was a mess, a real mess. And so Paul is going to write a letter to try to straighten them out. And what he does is he goes to chapter 1 and he reminds them of who they are. They are saints, they are believers, they are children of the king. And of what they have. He talks about the grace of God. He talks about their gifting and the guarantee that they have to stand complete in Christ. He encourages them. And then he starts in verse number 10 of chapter 1 to deal with this problem in the church, and that is a problem of division. There were factions in the church. There was fighting, there was fussing, there were picking sides, and I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and these are our celebrities, and these are our heroes, and this is who we follow. And so Paul is trying to straighten that out for them. He comes to chapter 2, and he reminds them that there are only two types of people on this planet. One is the people who are saved. He calls them spiritual, spiritual people. And by spiritual, what Paul means is, he means the man or the woman who has the Spirit of God living within them. We would say, born again, regenerated, they are spiritual in the fact that God's Spirit lives within them. We could stop there this morning and really try to understand the impact of what that means in our lives. That the Holy Spirit of God the Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the Spirit that lives in every believer. Let that rattle around in your head a little bit this morning. Pay attention to that. Don't sit as a believer and say, I can't have victory. I can't get through this struggle. I can't overcome this temptation. My friend, the Spirit of God lives within the believer. And the next time you're tempted, remember that the Spirit of Christ dwells within you. That's the one type of individual. The second, Paul uses an interesting word in chapter 2 about verse number 14. He says, and then the other class is the natural man. The natural Now, young people, since you're here with us this morning, we want to teach you a couple of great Greek words that you can use in school tomorrow, okay? Really impress your teacher. Natural man. He uses the word, and the word is psuchikos. It's the word we get physical from. And what it means is the natural man is merely human. It's of nature. This is the man or woman without the Spirit of God. They are natural. They are humans without the Spirit. And so he makes a distinction. There are only two types of people in this world, those who have the Spirit and those who don't. And now we get to chapter 3, and we talked about this last week. Starting at verse number 1, Paul says some interesting things here. He says, chapter 3, verse number 1, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, and they are, they're saved, they know Christ. He calls them brothers and sisters. I couldn't speak to you as someone who has the Spirit of God because you are carnal, even as babies. 
And that word carnal there is interesting. It's not the same word as natural, all right? Carnal is the Greek word. Young people are ready. You can use this tomorrow. The Greek word for carnal is sarkinos. And it doesn't mean just merely human. It means it's, a, it's, it's of or pertaining to the flesh. It means fleshly. And what he's saying is this. There are spiritual people. There are people who are lost. And you are saved, but you are acting like a person. You have characteristics of a person who does not know the Spirit of God. He calls them carnal. Carnal. Now what you need to know about this is what Paul means by carnal. When Paul uses that word for believers, he is not talking about the individual who prays a prayer, who walks an aisle, who goes forward or makes a profession, and from that point forward, they are indistinguishable from the world, and there's never any fruit, there's never any change. Paul doesn't consider that to be carnal. He tells those people, you better examine yourself whether you be in the faith. That doesn't exist in Paul's thinking. Nor is it the idea that Paul now is coming along with these classes of spiritual people that, okay, this is a spiritual guy or girl, this is the mid-range spiritual, and this is a poor carnal Christian who will never do any better. That's not what he is saying at all. What he's saying is, when he calls these believers carnal, they are individual believers who are saved, they know God, they know Christ, and yet at this point in their life, they have a fleshly or worldly perspective. Can we be honest this morning? Aren't we often there? Instead of having an eternal perspective, we have a temporal perspective. And something is shiny or it glitters and it distracts us. We've been there. And that's where this church is at. Now listen to me. To be a carnal Christian, it is never an option by the writers of the New Testament to remain there. They are always calling believers to come back. Spiritual people ought to act like they have the Spirit of God within them. And so Paul says, quit acting like the flesh. And so then from chapter 3, verses 4 through 9, he says, you have a problem. You don't understand the nature and the function of the church. I know you're carnal, I know you're fleshly, because you have these divisions. And so then Paul tries to un help them understand what the true church is like and what leaders in the church are to be like. And so, in verses 5 through 9, he starts this little metaphor about gardening. And he says, I want you to understand that God's leaders are merely servants. They're servants. They're errand boys. They do menial tasks. They wait on tables, and Paul includes himself. And what he's saying is, listen, all of God's leaders, the, the, the folks who preach and teach the Word of God, at the very best, they are servants. Why? Because Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, came and not to be ministered unto, not to be served, but to serve. And if there was anyone who ever deserved to be served, it was our Savior. And instead, he takes upon him the form of a man. He wraps himself in flesh. He is born in a filthy, stinking stable. Some of us city folk, I think we forget what the farm smells like sometimes. Right, farmers? Can I get an amen? Sometimes a farm with pigs and 
cows and goats and chickens. It's not a nice smell. Well, there's one, okay? The rest have been there so long, they don't even smell anything anymore, all right? This is our Lord. He was, he was born there. He lived a life of poverty, and he gave of himself. He served his disciples. He washed their feet, and in the ultimate act of selflessness, he gave himself. He gave himself. Listen to me. In Christianity, there are no rock stars. There are no celebrity pastors. The basic stance for all truly Christian behavior is that of a servant. Husbands, this morning, listen to me. Serve your wives. I didn't say that wrong. I said it right. Wives, serve your husbands. Okay, the same lady did it. I'm glad for that. That was good. I just wanted to make sure we're on the same page. Hey, young people, serve your parents. I should get more than that. Come on. This is, this is why we have them in here. This is why we bring them. You can serve. You can clean up after yourself. You can do the dishes. You can take out the trash. You can get a bulldozer and clean your room. You can do these things. You can serve. And for too many of us this morning, we have missed the joy of the Christian life, which is a life of service. Some of the greatest times in my life have been serving my family or the church family. There's joy, and you're missing out because you're selfishly waiting for someone else to serve you. Can I tell you something? Christianity doesn't work like that. It never has. It never will. So he says, you're messed up on service. God's leaders are servants. There are no celebrities. And then he says, you're messed up on the idea of differences, that God has people that he puts in positions of leadership, and they are different. One waters, one plants, one evangelizes, one disciples, but it's all about God. That's it. So there aren't celebrities. No one's more important. And the truth is, as you think about that passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul includes himself there. There is not one person who has individual importance in the church of Jesus Christ. Servants who serve our Savior. Let's look now this morning. We're up to speed, I think. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And let's look together now at verse number 10. No, let's look at verse number 9 first. He says, We are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. You are God's building. And he's going to make a transition here. He was talking about gardening. He's still talking about the same subject now. The church, leaders in the church. But now he's going to transition now to another analogy, and it's that of building. Now listen to me. It's very important this morning. This next passage of Scripture... um, can be tricky. And for many of us, we are so familiar with this passage of Scripture that I think we just assume that we know what it's talking about. But I want to help you this morning. I want us to stay in the context. Context is very important. We just can't jump around Scripture. We've got to stay in context. Let me help you understand this morning. I've got a little cartoon I'm going to show you. I thought this would be appropriate for the young people this morning. 
And uh, here's a cartoon. Little boy says, yay, I'm getting a puppy, I'm getting a puppy. And, and young people, you can put cat, hamster, snake, anything you want there. You've been here before. And the mother says, wait, hold on, let's go back to the mother. What on earth are you talking about? You can see the father scratching his head, has no idea. The next clip says this, daddy told me I could get a puppy. And now the woman is irate. You can see it in her eyes. You guys have seen that look before. It's like, I didn't do that. Next clip says, "Uh uh-huh, daddy said to me, and I quote, sure, you can have a puppy. And this is, this is the literal quote of his father, okay? So the next clip shows something very interesting. There's a swoosh that comes across, and up shows this character who is Captain Context, okay? He says, hooray, Captain Context is here to save me. And so now he says what was actually said. He says, young man, it is true that your father said the words you quoted, but you have committed the unseemly error of failing to consider the context in which these words were spoken. What he said was, son, you let your goldfish starve to death. Do you really expect me to say, sure, you can have a puppy? (laughs) And then let's finish off with this last clip. Is there a last clip on here? Or we stop at that? That's it? Read it. Oh, thank you. Read it. This is hard up here with people like that. Read it. Listen to me, boy. You must learn to always consider context, else be doomed to a life of intellectual dishonesty, never able to have meaningful conversations with anyone who doesn't agree with you or want exactly what you want. Now listen, parents, isn't that the truth? We have seen that our kids said, and I quote, you said, and they left out the context. Now listen to me. People say things like this, the Bible can mean anything you want it to mean. Is that statement true or false? It's true and false. The Bible can mean whatever you want it to mean if you pull out a context. You pull a scripture out, a verse out, and pull it out of there, and you can make it mean whatever you want to, but it's false in the sense that in the context, the Bible cannot mean whatever you want it to mean. It has a context. There's a sentence there surrounded by other sentences, surrounded by a chapter, surrounded by a book, surrounded by the Bible. Okay? And I'm telling you something this morning. This is how cults start. And this is how we get messed up on certain things when we have this idea that, well, this is what the verse said. You've got to keep it in context. So, this morning, stay with me. Let's look at the the Word of God. And and these verses aren't going to be up on the screen. I just want to point something out. I want to develop the context this morning of what we're talking about. Okay, Paul, from chapter 1, verse 10, until the end of chapter 4, is talking about divisions in the church. That's what he's talking about. And the the divisions are, the problem with divisions is, the church at Corinth, they're saying things like this. We love Paul, and he's our guy, and we love Apollos because he's smooth. He's smooth like butter, man. And Paul's just, he's a geek, he's got Greek, he's just, this is our team. And the church, they're setting up their leadership in ways that God never intended. And so Paul is dealing with this specific issue. 
He's not going to change from, from chapter 1, verse 10 until the end. He is talking about the leaders in his church. And, and I was just going to say to you, let me show you a couple things in Scripture. Um, chapter 3, verse number 5. It says, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers. Look at verse number 9. We are laborers together. Look at verse number 10. We'll get back to this in a minute. He says, um, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereupon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth. Look down at verse number 21. Therefore, let no man glory in men. He's still talking about leaders. And then you go to chapter 4, and it's a, it's a, it's a chapter that we have misunderstood for a long time, because he says, let a man so account of us, right, Paul, Apollos, leaders, as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Hey, we're in charge of preaching and teaching this book. He's talking again about leadership. And just to wrap it up, verse number 6, he says, These things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that, no, that not one of you should be puffed up against another. And so here's what I'm saying this morning. And you can, you can disagree with this, but I'm telling you something. The context of what we're about to talk about, which is really important when we get to verses 11 through 15, the context is this. Paul is dealing with leadership, teachers, elders, preachers in the church. And keep that in mind. He's not skipping all over the place. This is what he's talking about. Let's look at the scriptures this morning. Look at verse number 10. He says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me. The older I get, the more I love the word grace. Grace. It's an amazing word. Um, it's a wonderful word. It's simply grace. You know this morning, by grace, we're saved. We're saved by grace. We are kept by grace. We grow by grace. And someday, like the songwriter wrote, someday when we come to Jordan, it will be by God's grace that we cross those cold waters and see Him. And according to Ephesians chapter 2, it will be the riches of His grace throughout all eternity, saying, look at these are trophies of my grace. And Paul says, I've been given grace. I, I used to persecute the church. I tried to wipe the church out. I tried to wreak havoc in the church. And by God's grace... Not only did he save me, but look what he says next. He says, by God's grace, it's been given unto me as a wise master builder. Um, another Greek word for you for school tomorrow. That word master builder is architectone. Do you want to guess what that means? Very good. Architect. Paul says, I am an architect. I am laying the foundation. The foundation. Now watch what he says here, and this is really important. Verse number 10. He says, wise master builder, and he was. He knew what the foundation should be. He says, I have laid the foundation. Paul laid the foundation. And then he says, and another buildeth thereon. Now watch what's happening here. Paul says, I laid the foundation. But now watch this. Somebody else is building on it. It's not Paul anymore. It's not Apollos. Apollos isn't even there. Check it out, 1 Corinthians 16, 12. Apollos isn't in Corinth. He says, I laid the foundation, 
another is building thereon. Now watch what he says. That somebody else better take heed how he builds thereon. He's talking to instructors. He's talking to teachers. He's talking to elders. He's talking to pastors. There's a foundation I'm not laying, I'm not working on anymore. Who's ever left, take heed. Be careful how you build. And then he says this in verse number 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. Um, We can't build the church on worldly philosophy. You can't. That's not the foundation of the church. It can't be built on worldly philosophy. It can't be built on managerial skills. It can't be built on entertainment and music. It can't be built on personalities and plastic smiles. It just can't be built on those things. It can't be built on powerful emotional experiences. Some of those things are fine in themselves, but the truth of the matter is this. The fundamental, non-negotiable, that which without the church is no longer the church, is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That is the foundation. And what we need is the repeated, passionate, spirit-anointed proclamation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And without that, we may be winning adherence to a club who like the social aspect, who like community, who feel like they're helped, who, who, who maybe they're involved in projects and fundraising. We're winning adherence, but we're not winning converts. The church of Jesus Christ is built on the person and work of Christ, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his coming again. This is the beauty of the church. It's Jesus Christ. He is better than anything and everything. He is beautiful. And this is what you and I will stake our eternal destiny upon. That this is true. And so Paul says, there is no other foundation. It's Christ. But take heed how you build on that foundation. Now let's work our way through to verse 12. And remember, I'm still convinced this morning, he is talking about those who are building on this foundation. Teachers, instructors, preachers, pastors. He says now, now if any man, verse 12, built upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and that fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now listen to me. Um, he talks about these precious stones in verse number 12. Gold, silver, precious stones. Um, the fact is, you can build out of wood and hay, and I guess maybe stubble. You could use all of these things. But the point he's making is, some of these things have value and real value, and others don't. Right? And, and what he's saying here is, You better be careful how you're building on this foundation because there is coming a day when your works will be declared. And the edifice or the building that you were building upon that good foundation that you had will stand before the all-discerning eye of God. And in that day, 
you will give an account for what you built on that foundation. Was it wood, hay, stubble? Was it precious stones? The work will be declared. Okay? Now let's look at verses 14 and 15 of this section. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now here's the tricky part. These verses have been used to describe lots of things. And most of us are accustomed to hearing these verses talking about every believer. I have to tell you something. I, I just don't think that's the case. I think what he's talking about is, is a teacher, a speaker, a preacher, an elder whose life's work, when he stands before God, goes up in smoke. The foundation was laid, and his messages, his sermons, his exhortations were trite. They were meaningless. They were fluff. They tickled everyone's ears. And when it's all said and done, there are no converts. There's no changed lives. There's no grace and growth in the life of believers. He pastors a church. He leads a church. He's part of a leadership team that leads a church. And there is nothing there of value. Look at verse 16. And again, I still think he's talking about this, the church and leadership. He says, know ye not that ye are the temple of God. And we, we just right away say, well, that's you and I. And yes, there's a point that that's true. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20 say, ye, your body is a temple. But here he says, know ye, plural, that you are the temple. I think he's talking about every one of us this morning. We make up the church. We make up this place. And the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Spirit of God dwells in the church. Acts chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 17. If any man defile or destroy the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And I think Paul is saying, listen, Corinthians, you have been destroying your church. God cares for the church. You're ripping it apart because of your divisions. He says, don't do that. God cares for his church. He loves his church. He protects his church. Don't rip it apart. They were doing it by their factions. Hey, you've been in churches before where you walk in, and there's a group here, there's a group there, there's some oddball over there, and then there's somebody there, and no one likes each other. And they're this, this is the spiritual ones, and these are the fun ones, and these are the party ones, and these are the prudes, and the whole church is messed up. You know what that does? It destroys the church. Because there ought to be unity in the church. It can be destroyed through these divisions. Churches are destroyed. And he says, hey, let every man examine himself. Are you destroying the church? It's important. It can be destroyed through factions. It can be destroyed by majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors. Hey, there are some things that just don't matter. And too many Christian people, they want to get their, this, this is my, this is what I'm about. And, they're, and, they're, and the weightier matters, they're, they're ignoring. Listen, Christianity is not about your seat. And where you sit. And whether or not you're comfortable. Can I tell you something? As the church grows, and the church is growing, we thank God for that. Some of you could get a little, you know, on edge about that. Because it makes you uncomfortable. Can I tell you, I was very comfortable at 23 people, amen? But now listen to me. If those 23 people have the attitude like, hey, it's us 23 and that's it, 
Guess what? Nobody else is here. Nobody. It's not about your seat. It's not about your comfort. It's not about what you like. It's about the cause of Christ. That can destroy a church. If God is blessing, then God is blessing and enjoy it and get outside of your comfort zone and meet somebody, talk to somebody, love somebody, act like a Christian. It's a novel idea. Stuff destroys the church. Gossip destroys the church. Hey, can you, I, I want you to pray about so-and-so. Here's everything that's going on in their life. Oh, you're such a great spiritual warrior, aren't you? It's gossip. Prayerlessness can destroy a church. Materialism can destroy a church. Entertainment can destroy a church. And God says, guard the church. All right? So, with that said now, let me just make a couple points about what we're talking about this morning. I, I believe that as we go through this passage of Scripture, if we keep it in context, it helps us destroy two false teachings. The first is this. Some people look at chapter 3, verses 11 through 15 and say this is talking about the carnal Christian whose life never changed and they made it into heaven by the skin of their teeth. That's not what it's talking about. It's not. That didn't exist in Paul's mind. And it is not talking about purgatory. This imaginary place where people go for thousands and ten thousands of years and they get purged because they're tried by fire. It's not talking about that. The Bible only knows of two places, heaven and hell. Period. What's being burnt up here is the guy's works. Not the workmen, the workmanship. And so it clears it up. So, so here's where the rubber meets the road. What does this mean for us today? And you might be thinking, it means nothing for me now because it's all about leadership. But let me say this, three things. Number one, in light of what I just said this morning, I and, and anyone who opens the word of God here cannot preach and teach what you want to hear. It is not our job to find a passage that you like and to say something that tickles your ear that makes you feel better about yourself. We are not here this morning to be liked on your Facebook page. We don't have the right, nor do you, to come and expect someone to tickle just to tell you great things. Listen, I hope you're encouraged like twice a year when I preach. I hope that is, is what happens. And I want to encourage people, but we have to be honest and preach the Word of God, right? It's not about, we, we just can't preach what you want. Number two, the leadership here can't preach what they want to preach. I don't have a right to get on a hobby horse and say, this is what I want to talk about. We have to honestly open the Word of God and expound on that. Number three, you ought to know the difference as a congregation. Some of you folks, you are way too passive in your Christian life. And when the Word of God is spoken, you don't examine it, you don't go deeper, you do nothing. You should be able to sit here, and when people open up the Word of God, you should know that what they're saying is true, or what they're saying is, I don't know about that. You should be there. You should do that. You should be growing in grace. So, you say, okay, Pastor, that's great. I really feel good this morning because the message was all about you, and all about leadership, and all about teachers and preachers, so we're off the hook. Well, let me talk to you for a minute now. Because this passage of Scripture reveals two amazing thoughts that we all need to consider. Number one, every one of us will give an account of our lives. The Bible is clear on that. 
I think this passage is talking more to teachers and preachers, but the truth is we know that every believer in Christ is going to give an account for themselves. The scriptures are obvious. Matthew 25, Romans chapter 2, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Revelation chapter 22. It all speaks to the fact that someday every one of us will give an account of ourselves before God. Listen to me. There is coming a day when you will stand before God and you will be judged for your works, for what you have done. Believer, there is a judgment for believers. Not just leadership, but all believers. There's a great white throne judgment. There's a judgment for those who are lost. The books will be opened. They will be condemned. But there's a judgment for believers where God will say, I gifted you, I gave you everything. What did you do with your life? What did you do with your gifts? What did you do with your talents? We're going to give an account. You will give an account. I will give an account. And you're not going to be able to blame the pastor or your wife or your kids or your neighbors. You will stand before God and give an account. We've got to be honest about this and and understand that day is coming. It is coming. We will give an account. Number two, we're all builders. You're building something. You're building your life. Your life. It's time for you to sit here and not just hear the word of God, but go deeper. Take it. Allow it to be assimilated into your heart and life. Allow it to change you. You're building your life. First Peter chapter 2, verses the whole chapter, really, about chapter, verse 5, talks about living stones, that we all make up this thing called the church. And you're building your life. What are you doing? Are you building in a way that pleases God? You're building your own life. What do you have to show for it? How far along have you come in your Christian walk? Or are you like the Corinthians who were worldly and immature? Not only are you building your life, you're building the lives of others. Hey, we are not independent. We are interdependent. The church functions as a body. Iron sharpens iron. And there ought to be someone in your life spiritually that you are building, you are shaping, you are pouring your life into. And for younger believers, you ought to find somebody who's older and have them mentor you. We have the privilege in this church of having older saints, married saints, saints who have gone through great trials and tragedies. You ought to go to them and say, listen, I'm struggling, can you help me? And put yourself underneath that. You're, you're building. You're building your life. You should be building the life of others. Parents and grandparents this morning, you're building a life. Can I tell you something? There is coming a day when God is not going to care that your kid had a thousand likes on Facebook. We are becoming a narcissistic society. It's all about me. It's all about him and the center of the universe. Listen to me. God is more concerned not about what your kids are wearing or what they look like, but their hearts. Are you pouring your life into them? Are you showing them Christ? Are you concerned about real character traits like love? and courage, and honesty, and integrity, and patience, and kindness. We are all builders. We're building something. And what are you building? In this passage, Paul speaks about 
the glory of our foundation, Jesus Christ. It's glorious. But he reminds those who are leading this church, you better be careful what you're building upon this foundation. And reminds all of us this morning, there is coming a day of reckoning. And we all act like we're going to live forever on this planet. We're not. We're going to step off of this planet and come face to face with God. And we're going to give an account. What are you building in your life? And some of us, we are. We're, we're building just stubble. Nothing of any value. And in that day, we'll be disappointed because we had an opportunity to serve, to love, to give, to grow. And we did nothing. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.